Hey, I'm Brett Jamie, and welcome to the Baseball Coaching Journey, where we will explore how we as coaches, teachers, and educators can do a better job of developing our athletes, our programs, and ourselves. Welcome to the podcast, The Baseball Coaching Journey. This is my first release podcast, and I'm not a professional interviewer. I'm still learning the tricks of the trade, but one thing I'll say is there's a ton of good content you're about to hear in this interview. This is part one of a two-part interview with two-time Olympian, University of Washington Hall of Fame member, and NCAA record holder, Courtney Thompson. Courtney's a legendary competitor. She's a great athlete. She's been around greatness, and she's a special individual. I think everybody would attest to who, who, who knows her. And we're lucky to be able to get a window into the competitive soul of a special athlete. So if you're a fan of Courtney and you want the second podcast sent straight to your feed uh, when it's released later on this week, then simply hit subscribe. Anyways, hope you enjoy it. Here we go. I guess my, my first question was just like talking to you about being a competitor. Because mm-hmm. one thing I remember growing up is there's like one specific instance that stuck in my mind. Maybe it was the only day that you like showed up to Kent Lake early, but and I felt <laughs> And I think it was, I think there were actually like two or three times where we had like terrible games and our coach made us show up early as like punishment the next day. And you were in there at like 5.30, already like doing workout. Yeah. Which was like crazy. It's like, what the heck, why is she in here? And you were a sophomore at the time and you were by yourself like doing your own workout, which jumped out at me as being pretty incredible because we hated every second <laughs> yeah. that hour, you know, and you were on, you were there like of your own volition and that was pretty, pretty crazy. So I think of you as like the uber competitor, you know, right. you're Thompson, your brother, I, I don't know your oldest brother, but Trevor was like uber competitive. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want like to explore some of kind of what made you the competitor that you are. You yeah. Know? So I think that's something that as a coach, it's hard to instill in kids, and I want to do better with that. So, right. one thing though that stuck out to me is watching you at the Olympics. I saw you like dancing after points and yeah. stuff like that. So I know that you're not nobody would ever describe you as like somebody who messes around or anything like that. Right. Um, but you were keeping things like loose and fun. So for you, like keeping things loose and fun, but being Uber competitive, how does that kind of balance out? How yeah, like that? that's a great question. And I think it's, for me, it's definitely evolved. Um, when I was in high school, I I would go four days a week before, um, mm-hmm. from sophomore year on, and only because Wednesdays the, the gym wasn't open. Oh, okay. So the football coaches would be in there. So I would go in with them at 5.30 every day. And they took Wednesdays off, so that was my morning off as well. But I, in high school, was like this, I loved sports from, as long as I can remember. My brothers played, my family loved them. And I always loved the, fortunately for me, the process of competing. And so it wasn't like just the games I loved. I loved working out, I loved trying to eat healthy. I loved the day we got gear, like I would geek out. Like even when I was like in fourth grade, the day I got my first full sweatsuit was like the best day of my life. My mom had to like make me take it off after four days. So stuff like that was always fun for me. And I, at that age, I took winning and losing like super seriously, just because I, 
I would read books like, oh, to be the best, you have to work harder. And if, you know, the real champions like win and then they win again and then, you know. Um, and what I've, I've come so far from, from that place and that, that kid is, is a high school kid, that kind of competition and what it's evolved to now in playing at the highest level is like everyone's talented, everyone works hard, everyone um, is gifted and loves what they do for the most part. Um, and it's just this entirely different perspective on motivation and what motivates you and why you play the game. And one of the, I was fortunate enough to get to go to two Olympics. And what I learned from London is that one of the toughest moments for me was after my first Olympics, because my whole life I'd been the underdog and, and trying to prove myself. And everyone told me, you're not good enough, you're not this. And I was like, I would do all the work to be able to show up to the game and feel like I deserved to win. And that was fun for me, because then I was like, watch this. Fine, you think that? Watch this. And not just, not just to prove people wrong, but for me too, because um, it was fun. And I knew, for some reason, like there's always this belief that I could do something special, even though there are moments when it's like, how did I get here? You know, it's kind of that balance. Um, and what I learned after London is that if, you, if it's all about the win, if it's all about this two-week tournament, if it's all about the final product, you're missing the whole point. Um, and not to say that I didn't enjoy everything leading up to London Olympics, um, but afterwards, it wasn't like I woke up every day and was like, I'm an Olympian, I'm happy, I'm, I got a medal, which was like, you know, coming from Kent was like incredible, like something I would never dream of. Um, but it doesn't make you happy. And I, I knew that before, but I think it sunk in on a very different level. Um, and so coming into Rio, and now what I know is that it's a game um, and we got to enjoy what we're doing in life. And we had this opportunity to play at the highest level possible. Um, and it's a gift. And every day in that pursuit is the real gift. And, um, you know, when you, when you have a moment with a team after you win and you've done everything the right way to prepare, it's incredible. I think it's probably one of the, the two best feelings in sports. Like when you have that moment to, we did it and we did it the right way and it's whatever. Um, but the other best moment is that feeling of when your dream and your commitment kind of meet and you have that moment of ambition like and clarity, like that's what I want to do. And you're just like, I'll do anything. And, and that's the one that lasts like 99% of the time. You know, the, the winning moment or the losing moment, it wears off. And what you're left with is kind of what you've done. And um, it's a very long answer. But my, my perspective on, on like the why, I guess, changed a little bit. Um, and then the other, the other answer is like, we're trying to perform at the highest level and it's super intense. And what we learned is coming off the bench is really hard. And uh, so when I first, I've never come off the bench before until I got with the national team. And so my first few tournaments, I was like, like just, I wasn't talking to anybody. Like I wasn't talking to my teammates. I was like watching the other setter and I would talk to her, but everything was like super serious. And I would get in there and just be like tight and like, oh, I gotta be perfect. I only have like, you know, three rotations to make a difference. And it wasn't good. I wasn't playing well and it wasn't fun. And so we had a sports site then that, that was like, hey, when you're on the bench, be on the bench. When you go, you know, when you walk this up, like ideally, um, ideally saying like, just be present and enjoy where you're at. And then when you get back to serve and when you get to set, then you're doing that. Um, opposed to like, oh God, I gotta go in in 10 minutes. I gotta be ready, you know? And so we started loosening up on the bench. Um, having a little fun, and we're still, I mean, we're giving a lot of serious feedback to who's on the court and staying connected, but it helped. Yeah. 
and we made cheers after people, you know, got kills like we were in seventh grade. And um, it helped us stay loose. It helped us physically stay warm. Like I'd be like sweaty. Uh, and then we were more engaged emotionally, mentally, and uh, it was just more fun. And I mean, and we were playing better when we went in. So it was kind of this cool combination. And Karch, who's like the ultimate competitor, supported that. And he was like fired up and uh, he liked it. So it sounds like you're driven more by like intrinsic yeah. uh, value rather than like extrinsic, like, you know, getting the awards or trying yeah. to get somewhere. What were some of the, so you kind of explored it, but what were some of the things that, that intrinsically you valued the most in your career? Or, you know, what, like, what kind of pushed you? Yeah. Or was it trying to always make it to the next level or what kind of helped you? Yeah. Be like better than you were intrinsically. I think, uh, excuse me, from a young age, it was about, without even knowing it, I think I had this desire, like, for whatever reason, um, I was born to do something difficult, and I was, like, stoked about it. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it would, like, be a lot of hard work, and I wanted that. Like, I enjoyed getting up early to go crush myself in the weight room, doing stuff that was wrong, but I thought, oh, yeah, this is helping me, you know? I was, like, running miles and in volleyball. That, that doesn't help you, um, but I loved it. Um, so part of it was just, like, I didn't articulate it this way then, but reaching my potential and, like, I'm supposed to do something difficult. The other part, the biggest thing in my family was, like, make those around you better, and if you do something, you're all in, you know, whether it's band or sports or school or whatever. Like, if you're going to do it, do it right. And... I had two older brothers that kind of helped me with that. And, and Craig, my oldest brother, was a mentor and a coach. He coached me in basketball. And I remember I, I used to score a bunch when I was younger. And then he started giving me blizzards or telling me I would earn a blizzard if I took charges and I, and I got, like, more assists than points. Mm. And so even, like, when I was super young without knowing it, he was teaching me, like, it's better to be a good teammate than it is to, like, shine yourself and if – you can make those around you better. Um, it's not always about what you do. It's about, you know, how you can help your team. And from a young age, that became like a theme of mine. And in my, in my family, would always get more excited about our team winning than any individual accomplishment I would get. And, and I think my parents, the other thing they instilled was like, they would always tell me they were proud of me and they were proud of how hard I worked and they loved that I was so enjoying what I was doing. Um, but I remember after getting my like first individual award in like fourth grade that I can remember, my mom on the way to the car, like I remember exactly where we were, she, her telling me, we're really proud of you, um, but this doesn't make you better than anybody. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. But that was kind of a theme in our family uh, throughout my career. Yeah. Now I'm guessing, because I think, I think when, when you were in high school, didn't you make like, First team, at least the rumor was that you made first team all league in basketball, fast pitch, and volleyball, like all three years. Is that, do you know if that's right? I think so. Okay. Uh, I think I got second team one year in basketball just because my coach tells that story all the time. Um, and then I didn't play sophomore my, my senior year. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I got super sick, so I had to, but uh, yeah. Did you have um, scholarship offers in all three sports? I didn't in basketball. I had, but I committed my junior year, okay. so yeah, okay. I kind of knew a little bit early, but a little more attention in softball yeah. than basketball, yeah. That's funny, because 
Because growing up, I had heard that volleyball was like your least favorite sport. It was. So I was surprised actually like when yeah. I heard you were going to be playing. So was I. And uh, <laughs> every, yeah, there's been times since and I'm like, Wait, why did I choose this sport, you know? But I was probably most natural in baseball or it just came no. the rhythm of the game maybe because I was exposed to it more. I didn't like softball as much with the girls. If I could have played with the guys a little longer or we could have played baseball, maybe I would like, I like that sport better. Um, and I was better at basketball for sure. But I don't know, the, the, I got a good opportunity in college in volleyball and I could play club volleyball and also play all the other sports in high school and that was important to me. If I, if I did club basketball, I think I would have had to quit a few other sports and I wasn't about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. I enjoyed them too much. Um, and then just one other kind of follow-up. Because, like, I'm really interested in, like, I think, and I think people are interested in, like, specific stories, like, from because you've got such a rich uh, experience to draw from. Was there, like, one time that you can remember in your career where you felt like you struck the perfect kind of competitive balance between uh, being, like, focused, you know, um, jaw set, eyes locked on, uh, and also being loose and having fun. Like, was there yeah. a point where you felt like, okay, this is how I need to kind of do it? Yeah. At the highest level, I think that happened uh, leading up to world championships and then at the tournament. Uh, we won the, our first gold medal with the national team ever. Uh, we never won a gold medal in uh, the World Cup, the Olympics, or World Championships. And so we were able to in 2014. And it was cool. It was uh, so coming off of London Olympics, I had my worst year. It was interesting because, like I said, I'd been the underdog my whole life. And all of a sudden, at the very end, like two weeks before they announced the team, I like made the roster. And so it was like, came down to the last day and they told me and I had no idea I was going to go and it was incredible. And so you're kind of on this like high and then all of a sudden people were talking to me a little bit differently because now I was like an Olympian and I hadn't changed. Um, my ability hadn't changed, but in my head it was like the, the self-talk shifted, which is confidence is really self-talk, right? What we're telling ourselves to, you don't believe in me, watch this. I've done the work to now I'm an Olympian, I should be perfect. I should be this good. I should be leading my team. I shouldn't be having these doubts. Why am I having a bad day? And so all of a sudden, like what made me me was just like womp, like completely stripped um, in, inside of me. And so I stopped having fun. I stopped playing well. I didn't make any rosters that I kind of hit like a, a low for me on the national team. And coming out of that was really cool because it was just this like ultimate humbling reset of, all right, what are you all about? And so I got to strip away all of that negativity and, and then kind of add in all the experience I've had and recreate like me as an athlete. And, and it, was, it was neat. It was like all the preparation, everything I'd been through in my life kind of prepared me um, to just get away from distractions and really got down to like the reason I play, why I like to compete, um, and just kind of live into that every single day. And I was a better teammate. I started playing better. Um, and we, we worked a lot with our sports psych, um, Dr. Michael Gervais, who works for the Seahawks. And we did a ton of work on all that stuff. And so playing just became free again. I felt like I was in high school. Like I didn't 
worry about what the coaches thought. I didn't, if I messed up, I wasn't worried about what the hitters thought. I was very, I was so into what I was doing, but also in a way emotionally detached from the outcome. So very process oriented. Um, what can I can control? Everything else I don't have time for. And it just creates this like free space where you can compete and it's fun and you love it. Um, and it was awesome. And our whole team was kind of there too at the time. And we ended up putting together this really special tournament and we won world championships and it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's really so, cool that you were able to uh, kind of uh, live in that balance for a while. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to, to capture. And, and, totally. And once you're kind of there, it's pretty cool. I think maybe like in my life, you know, I felt that way, like three dates or something. Yeah. And it's usually like, yeah. Like, I, I too, I've had, you've had like moments or games and you're like, oh, I just want to capture that back. And um, I think as a kid too, when you look at a college athlete and then you get in college and you look at the Olympic athlete, you think, God, they must have it all figured out. Or, you know, they've won a national title and they have a scholarship. Like they must just be like stoked on life every day and they, they don't doubt themselves and they don't lose confidence. And, you know, you think it's, it's a little bit different. And what I've learned is like at every level you deal with the same things. Mm -hmm. Um, and confidence is a skill, and your, mind, your mindset is a skill, and it's also a choice every single day. And so you have to train it the same way you train your body, the same way, you know, with discipline, with intention, and with reps over and over and over, and it's hard. And at the highest level, that's what really sets people apart because everyone's super physical, talented. They've been playing the game for 20 years. And so it's, it's a really fun, like, place to also not fun when it's not going well but to like practice those nuances and like oh that worked or that didn't work and it, it's easy to get distracted um, you know when you go play professional and you're getting paid and owners want to win and they don't care about your happiness per se you know it's it's different when you're playing in Europe and just surrounded by people sometimes that just want to make money and you're trying to stay in that like process and um, being positive and you know optimistic about what's going to happen next and willing to do the work and when your environment isn't supporting that it's like dude that, that that's a challenge yeah. but it's cool um, and then you get back with the U.S. team and everyone's kind of in it the same way but I don't know um, but I just think so much of that translates to a high school kid and um, I, I hope coaches are talking about how to be confident how to train your brain because it's a uh, you know, when coaches say, go be tough, be tough, do it again, even though you just failed 20 times. Like, that's hard. Yeah. As a kid, it's hard. Um, and so I hope we're teaching that. Yeah. To work around confidence. I think uh, the way we talked a lot about it is that confidence is self-talk. And in order to increase uh, the productivity in your self-talk, it starts with awareness. Um, so that's kind of a mindfulness practice that um, meditation can help with. Um, just an intention of I'm going to think about what I'm actually thinking about, you know, and then it always comes back to what you can control. And so if I know, um, if I can sit down and take five minutes of this is me at my best, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm, how my body's moving, um, this is what I'm worried about, this is what I'm putting energy into as far as, you know, oh, I have to play well tonight versus what a cool opportunity. So that, you know, that little difference is a world of a difference when a kid steps on the court or a field. And so if I know at my best, this is what I, I do, then I can pick out from that two things 
that, that I'm actually thinking about when I'm at my best to strip down to like, so if I'm having a bad day, instead of just showing up to practice and being like, man, I'm tired, I, I messed up on my test, my boyfriend broke up with me, you know, I got homework tonight, you know, and then you get there and you're like in this kind of negative thing, if you're aware of that, I can take a deep breath and then come back to those two things that help me. I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna, you know, finish every set aggressively. And that's it. So anytime a negative thought or, oh, I'm tired, you can notice it and then get rid of it. And you don't have to, like, um, get stuck in kind of that emotion. And any sort of mindfulness, I think, if we can, you know, just focus on your breath for five minutes a day. And every time a thought comes in, you kind of notice it and let it go. Even that, that's going to, you know, change your ability to be present in a moment and not get attached by all these distractions. Um, so yeah, I could go on forever about that. But, but that's one thing. I think the, the biggest thing for a kid that I would say is like be intentional about focusing on what you, you can control. And it's a lot easier said than done. But you know, if a coach is going to take you out, that can distract you. If your teammates react to you by rolling their eyes, that can distract you. And so if we train, you know, I can't control them. I can't control that. And I'm not going to let it affect me and, and get on this negative cycle of like, oh, crap, she's going to take me out. If they take me out, I'm never going to start again. Then I'm going to look stupid. And then, you know, and it sounds funny, but every athlete's going to be like, oh, yeah, I've been there, you know. And um, so creating that awareness um, is usually the first, the first step. Well, especially, like, at your level, when, when like, you said once you start getting paid for it, it's different. Yeah, because, uh, things can change. Yeah, and, or, like, with the national team, I was looking at, like, rosters, and they were like, swapping people out, like, I didn't realize, because I would watch like the starters, which were fairly static, but I was, then I was looking at like rosters and they were like... It's intense, yeah. There were like, I don't know, 30 different people over the course of like yeah. you know, X amount of months. So. And if, yeah, and everybody there on the national team has had like a ton of success in college and high school. And it's um, one of the greatest gifts I think I got from, from being with the national team for nine years is just watching how people handle failing. So, you know, a lot of people haven't been told no or you didn't make the team or you didn't make the roster. You're not good enough at that level. And so seeing how people react is fascinating and, like, what actually helps people and what doesn't and um, which people kind of stick, you know, uh, and not necessarily make the Olympics but are able to be their best uh, in that environment. You know, there's a lot of my teammates who left it all on the floor and did great and were, like, tough and – um, and unfortunately, because of personnel, they didn't get to go to the Olympics um, versus someone that just was like been told that and then started blaming and oh, yeah, but it's, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I learned a lot by watching, you know, some of the best in the world and how they prepare and how they deal with adversity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so especially since you just kind of mentioned that, um, adversity. So in 2012 in London, you played a lot, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. I believe that. There's an injury to one of the setters, and that opened up like tons of playing time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in Rio, your playing time was down. Yeah. Like. So how did you, you know, deal with that and not just like survive? Lose my mind. Yeah. Actually, like try to thrive. Yeah. Um, in those situations. Yeah. Well, it was it was really an interesting emotion, like. Uh, Leading up to Rio, I had, I had been the, in the same role I was in London. And throughout the summer before Rio Olympics, Karch 
you know, asked me to change my position a little bit. And so when he told me I made the team, he said, um, we'd like to take you to Rio, but there's two things. One, we're going to change your position. And two, you might not play one play. Are you okay with that? Are you able to be you despite that? And of course, my answer is yes. Like, I'm going to, if the team needs me, like, I'm in. Whatever I can do. Um, so that was, like, a very easy answer. But the reality when I, like, walked out of the room was, like, you know, I'm a competitor. And so I wanted to play. And I, I thought he was wrong in a respectful way. Yeah. But I told him, the, the great thing about Karch is that he knows me. He knows everybody on our team. And he loves us for who we are. And he knows I'm competitive. And so he's... Uh, he understood when I told him, like, the team's first. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I will be my best for the team. But I think I should be playing all the time. More importantly, I'm going to be prepared to play. Whether you put me in as a setter or you put me in as a server and you want me to learn how to play left back, like, cool. I'm going to go all out to do that. And what I, I think what I learned um, is maybe as a younger athlete, I would have let that anger and that emotion like take over and I certainly felt it still and I wanted to be out there and I believed in my ability to be out there um, but I had done the work and I, w I'm, I was a much better setter in Rio than I was in London and I was a much better yeah, all the way around player in Rio than I was in London and so I could I knew I had done the work and prepared to be out there um, which is half the battle and there's some things you can't control so at the end of the day if Karch says like this is how I think our team's going to win a gold medal. Like, that's what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to play the entire time and not win a gold medal. And um, I trusted in his ability, and I was honest with him, which also helped. You know, I think you can feel one way and also put the team first. And um, having that conversation with him and telling him, I think you're wrong, I respect you, but I'm, and I'm going to be prepared if you change your mind, was really kind of empowering for me. Like, he can make his choice, but I'm, it's not going to change how I approach my day to day. Um, but it, it was this weird mix of like really humbling in the way of, wow, he's using one of 12 spots to take me and he might not even play me. So that was a, like in a way a compliment to the impact I can have on other people or his belief in that. Um, and I wanted to honor that and you know, do my best. Um, but it also, as a, as a competitor, fired me up. But I think that helped me uh, prepare harder. Well, I, and I think that kind of already answered my follow-up question. But yeah. I think that, well, how would you answer those specifically? Like, how did you stay prepared? Oh, right. Like, I'm, I probably won't play today. Because I think especially for young people, when they it's the challenge for us coaches is to keep kids prepared right. to believe that they probably won't play much that we believe won't play right. So what, how do you, like, what, would, yeah. what advice would you give? Well, first of all, it's way harder than starting, I think. And when I first started playing on the, or starting on the bench in, on, with the U.S. team, I called, like, four of my teammates from college that were on the bench. And I don't think I was a bad teammate at UW, but I was like, dude, I had no idea what that felt like. And I'm sorry I wasn't, like, better for you. Um, so I think the coach can create an environment where um, it's talked about how difficult it is to be a great teammate on the bench and necessary. And uh, I don't think it's just a spot to sit and watch. Like, you're there to, to help the people in your position. Um, and it's hard because you want to be that person. But 
if you're sitting on the bench and you're bitter and you're pissed and you want the other person to fail, it's not helping you. Like when you get your opportunity, you're going to be less prepared than if you're on the bench helping that person um, and getting stoked for them when they do well and talking to them about strategy and what you see and what they can do better. And, and then you get in there and you're kind of free and you're like, yeah, I've, I've, I'm engaged in this process and I was thinking like you when I was on the bench. Um, it's also not helping you if you blame your coach, even if they're wrong. So there's been a lot of times in my career, because I'm stubborn and I'm competitive, that I was like, I should be playing, but I'm not. And so if I had done the work, I could look at my coach and say that. And there had been times when I was so mad that I didn't, I was like, screw it. And I didn't work as hard and I didn't watch as much video and I was like, I might not play. And I was really unhappy. And I couldn't look at my coach and say, I'm prepared when you give me my opportunity. And what I've learned is that's really fun to look at a coach and be like, respectfully, I think you're wrong and I'm gonna show you why. And then do the work. And whether or not they play you or not, there's this satisfaction, like that's what sport's about. Like you've done everything you could do to prepare to have the job you want. And I, I heard somewhere along the way, like prepare for the job you want, not the job you have. And for me, if I was on the bench, one way I would keep myself accountable was uh, after games, if I could look in the mirror and say, I was ready at any moment to go in and be my best, I would, I would like be stoked and be like, you killed it tonight, you had a great game. And if I couldn't say that, and I was the only one that knew, um, I, I would be disappointed, you know? And like, man, you, that was crappy. Like, you need to do better. And so that's like a fun, I don't know, a way you can keep yourself accountable, but it's hard. And, and fortunately, on the US team, we created this culture where it was, uh, they needed us, and we actually helped the people on the bench are playing a lot. And we talked to them about stuff. And after the games, if Karch didn't hear us, like, cheering, and in productive dialogue during timeouts, they'd be like, guys, you know, I, I didn't hear much from the, you know, I didn't feel your energy. Um, and it was cool. We believed like we made a difference and we knew if we had the opportunity, we had to make a difference. So I think it's partly on the coach and also, you know, the, the bench players can come up with fun games like that. Um, and ultimately it's about ownership of yourself, your performance and your happiness and like, yeah, life's tough sometimes. You don't always get what you want. What are you going to do about it? It's way more fun when you still give it everything, and then you can kind of sit back and be proud of it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good stuff in there, especially yeah. that's fine exact what you said about like coaches kind of recognizing. Yeah. Difficulties. I've never done that. So yeah, good. yeah, and even like asking, like, hey, uh, players that are playing, what are some things this kid can help you with? You know, and maybe it starts with like the kid doesn't even know, like in high school, probably. I don't know. Uh, I don't know in baseball what it would be but like in volleyball. Oh, yeah, this player's hitting really well or their blocks doing this or, you know, and then all of a sudden or the coach can assign two athletes that. And so there's this dialogue and it's probably going to be weird and uncomfortable at first. But you can learn like the athletes can learn. This is what helps me. This is what doesn't. And then it's this really fun teamwork process and we're all we need every championship team I've been on at any level and I've won at every level and I've lost at every level in a final and uh, what I know is that our bench players whether I was on or not was really strong and that you practice better um, everyone's all in and you feel that even at the Olympic level that stuff matters.
Okay, so a few questions on like kind of what it takes. So uh, there was a stat, I forget. A lot. But um, they did a study where they asked like your average high school varsity athlete mm -hmm. if they felt that they were hard worker. And like 90% <laughs> of them said yes. Yeah. And then they asked them to outline what their day looked like or their week and how many, how many hours they prepared and all that. Then they took the top 10% of the kids and they showed them the kids who said they were hard workers and kind of what they did and said, how do you view this athlete? They're like, this athlete's lazy. Like, okay. They're not doing right. anything. Like, I don't respect the data <laughs> they're putting in and stuff like that. I would love to hear what people thought. So, that was funny. I would be interested in to give people an idea of like what a great athlete actually does on kind of a typical day. Um, like your average out of season day, um, just like real quick for high school, and then if that changed in college and then yeah. in the pros, how that kind of That's a great question. In high school, I worked really, I, I've, I've worked hard my whole career. I've always felt like I wasn't as gifted or talented as a lot of people, and I, it pissed me off, and I wanted to feel like, the most important thing for me was that I could walk on the court and feel like I deserved to win. And sometimes that took a lot, and people looked at me like, you're crazy, my parents, you know. Um, but I loved it. So in high school, I would get up at 5, eat a quick breakfast, drive to Cant Lake, work out from 5.30 to 6.30. I think school started at 7.05. So maybe I finished working out at 6.45. And I would do, like, circuit stuff. So it was, it was tough workouts. My senior year, um, Bartoli, the, yeah, he, if, if his football athletes weren't, if they missed a practice or something, he'd make them get up and work out with me. And they hated it. And I'd be like, yeah, you, you got to follow me. I'm not going to wait for you. You know, so it, it was intense. And then we'd go to school, and I'd have practice after, after school for usually two and a half hours. Um, and then I'd go home, do some homework, eat. And if I didn't have club practice for two hours or whatever that night, I would, like, run three miles on the treadmill. Okay, so not the smartest. I was severely overtrained. Um, and I didn't rest as much as I needed, but I didn't know. So then I thought I was just, I need to do more, more, more. Um, but yeah, so that was my high school. And on the weekends, if, if I didn't have a tournament, I'd usually run like in the neighborhood, like three miles, which I also thought was helping me, which probably was. The only thing that was helping me was like my mindset. Like, yeah, you can't stop me because I've, no one's doing this. And I would watch, uh, we had this VHS tape. This is like way back of like uh, Pat Summit coaching at Tennessee. It was like this documentary on their basketball program and then like running lines at 5.30 a.m. and I just thought it was the coolest. So I was like, oh yeah, they're the best. That's what I have to do. So it was, and any book I read is like, like I would read like uh, Vince Lombardi's book or whatever and it'd be like, yeah, I did like a thousand sit-ups before bed. So I'd be like, all right, that's what I'm doing. And I would. And I would do like sit-ups and push-ups before bed after like working out all day. And, but I was like stoked on it. Um, so that was high school. In college, uh, so the, I ended up getting pretty overtrained in high school, and I got really sick and had to learn a little more balance. And um, in college, though, I also I kept the routine of getting up early and working out before class, even if we didn't have team workouts, just because it felt it made me feel like I was getting ahead. Um, so I would get up before class and do that. I would watch video every single day. So I got a little smarter about my training. It wasn't just all physical. I would uh, watch video with my coach. I would watch video before bed. 
Um, and we're training quite a bit in college. So the off season we'd train, I don't know, we'd either work out with our team like an open gym or have like two hours of practice in season. It'd be like four hours, you know, weights three or four times a week. I'd do extra conditioning after. I'd work out every morning for sure. So that was college, that was a lot. And then at the next level, what I realized was like, cause I enjoy crushing myself in a workout. Like it just feels like this release and like, yeah, I've worked hard, like no one can stop me. But I couldn't keep up with everybody on the national team if I did that. Cause I had to be like, they're taller, they're more physical. I had to be able to like be rested. And so I learned a lot more balance with the national team, which meant I would do less physical work and more setting. I would, instead of like working out, I would just set hundreds, thousands of balls. Um, so we would get extra reps almost every day, setters would. And I wasn't the, I was the only setter. There's usually like two or three of us. Um, I would get a little bit extra workouts in, but uh, I definitely watch video. Um, before practice every day, I would do a lot more visualizing. So there's about 20 minutes of meditation or visualizing at least a day. Um, and that's in the morning, it's before bed, it's before practice. I would, yeah, I could go on. But there's a lot, of, a lot of mindset stuff, a lot of mindset training, brain training, um, reading books. You know, it's cool because it's a full-time job. So I could, I could dive in and, and do that. And I also learned the value of balance. Like actually having a social life is cool too and it helps you be better and um, relaxing a little bit and finding ways to do that. Um, Add, added value. So those are all things that took me probably longer than most to learn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that's helpful. Does that answer the question? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, I've got a question. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned at one point that your parents thought you were a little crazy. Yeah. So I know some people's parents are like the ones that are the catalyst right. for them. And it doesn't sound like that was the case for you. Yeah. So uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. How did you guys come to an agreement as to what was fitting? Right. Great question. Um, I think, you know, for me, they just wanted me to have fun. And luckily, I, I fell in love with the process of, of sports. And I, I liked working out. I liked watching video. Like, I thought it was cool. And so they would often, their message to me was like, just calm down. Like, relax. Take a day off. Like, you're going crazy. Um, but they, <clears throat> excuse me, but they knew I loved it. And uh when parents ask me, like, what do I tell my kid to, like, work harder? I don't think you can. I think maybe if the kid has said, I want to play in college, and they're not, you know, their behavior isn't in line with that dream, then maybe there's some, I can keep you account accountable. But I don't think if that's a constant thing that they're ever going to love playing at that level because that's what it takes. But if you don't love it, it's not like you love every second of it. Um, but... I don't know. I don't think you can teach a kid to like love the grind. You know what I mean? Um, and one thing that helped my parents and I is that we always, we created a rule after, with the national team um, before one, before the London Olympics, they were, they kept, they were really excited and I was right on the bubble and like every day it was like me and this girl, me and this girl. And so they'd call and be like, what, did the coach say anything? Or, you know, how did she, how'd you do today? Did you win? Did you win? And I, I was super, that was the most like stressed or anxious I've been um, in regards to volleyball. And so I finally was like, stop it. I can't, like, we can't, no more questions. 
And we had this dialogue about, you can ask me three things. Did I have fun? Did I work hard? And was I a great teammate? And if it's not one of those, like, it's off limits. And so it, it was so much better after that because they felt like they could really support me. Um, and I felt supported and loved, which I knew they did anyway, but I didn't have this, like, anytime they'd call, I'd be like, I don't want to talk. I can't. Like, it's too much. Um, and it was cool. And I wish more, I hope, a lot of parents um, are having those conversations with their kids. What helps you? You know, because I know you want to ask them everything, but, like, as a, as a player, it causes a, str a stress. And especially when you're stressed, it's just, like, amplifies the anxiety, and then you're resentful of the parent, and then you, like, shut down completely. Um, and it's easy to see when you're removed from it, but I don't know, just even having that dialogue. Well, I think, and like you said, it kind of takes your brain off of, off of you being aware of what you need to do to be successful in everything. Yeah. You're worried about the stuff that's not helping you. And not only is it not helping you, it, it takes all the joy out of it. And uh, one thing I've heard Dr. Uh, Michael Gervais talk a lot about is the number one reason kids quit high school sports is because of the car ride home. And, like, just that feeling, you know. And, um, I, I, yeah, I really hope parents are asking their kid what helps them and then – or just talking about things they can control. Like, did you have fun? Like, that's, I don't care what level. I've been at a high level, and if you're not enjoying it, it's not worth it. No award, no championship is worth it if you don't enjoy the process. So if uh, I hope coaches and parents are helping kids learn how to do that. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of um, on a different topic, but as an elite athlete, I want you to kind of discuss, like, were you willing to try things new? And what I mean by that is, you know, some people say, like, I'm not going to do anything new. I'm just going to, like, get better with, with my basics, mastering my fundamentals, uh, mastering kind of, like, what got me here and refining that. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also, like, the other side that says, no, I need to, like, always look for a different edge or I need to always be improving. So I need to be looking, you know, to, like, different stuff or whatever. So... Can you tell me about like a couple new things that maybe you tried or kind of how you approached exploring new stuff to help you get better, whether it was like workouts, techniques or mechanics yeah. or like um, nutrition stuff? Like what was your approach to, right. to kind of exploring how you can get better versus just, nope, I'm just going to kind of... Yeah, great question. The Fortunately for me, the foundation of our program with the national team and also at UW, at the University of Washington, was learning and getting better. And we talked every day about that it didn't matter what we did before, we have to get better today. And uh, it's hard though as an athlete, especially if you've had success, to try something new because you're gonna fail. Um, but what, I, what I've come to understand and know is that if you wanna learn, you're gonna get worse before you get better. And it's those that hang in that process um, that are the most successful. So it's really just reframing how you look at uh, not knowing how to do something. It's either a really crappy feeling and it means I'm not good and all of a sudden my identity is attached to that one skill. Or you can look at it like every champion goes through this and this is one step to get better. The only step to get better. You know, um, That's it, period. And so it's really kind of your mindset going in. And uh, it's just not always easy, but I think it's a choice you make every day. Either I'm going to just call it good and I'm gonna you know I don't know Marv Dumpy always said you either get better or you get worse you never stay the same 
And I don't think if you're pushing that envelope of failing and messing up and then learning from it that you ever get anywhere, you know? And a part of that is, is being emotionally detached from the outcome so that you can just observe what happened and learn from it. And so my, my uh, a big downfall of mine or whatever, struggle, I guess, that kind of followed me my whole career was being really emotional, um, which is kind of who I am, but also hurt me in the sense that if, if I was trying something new and I didn't get it right, I'd get pissed. And then all of a sudden the emotion would uh, take over and I wouldn't learn any lesson. And so I had a lot of good coaches like just stop me in that a moment of like trying something new, messing up and be like, ah, crap, shoot, you know, swearing, whatever. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And like to a point where it made me feel stupid. I was like, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm pissed, like I messed it up. He's like, and what did it feel like? What did you learn? What are you gonna do about it? So, you know, in the moment it's hard, but like what a coach has this ability to do is, is to help the athlete learn the right mindset and be in the right mindset to learn at a high level. Um, and it's just impossible to learn if you don't mess up. So I think that just has to be a foundation of how you think. And hopefully a coach isn't just outcome, 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 outcome. Because if you're stuck in that, it's a really tough place to go for it. So we always celebrated um, going for it and making good mistakes and learning from them, you know? Do you remember like one particular thing where it was like really stretching for you? Where it's like, this is tough for me to try this or tough for me to like yeah. incorporate this or something like that? Absolutely. Uh, we learned an entirely different way to back set. Um, that only like a few of the men's international setters were doing and we committed to it and I, you know I'm a national team setter I've been setting for a long time and I was like missing balls like over the net like off of free ball you know or like a, a perfect pass and my sets were like woo, woo, you know and you're like dude I can do this so much better you know but when you commit to kind of the long game and and what I know is that if you're gonna be great in anything, it's gonna be, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you gotta be willing to look stupid. You gotta be willing to, to lose a little of what you can't, what you have, and then to recreate something even better. Um, and it doesn't make you less competitive. The best in the world do it. You look at any great athlete, any great artist, and that's where their mindset is. Um, and so for me, you just wanna like look good. And I remember you'd have like, We'd have like high school coaches coming in the gym to just watch or observe and they'd be like, why, what's wrong with Courtney? Or like, why are all the setters, like my setters can make these plays? And our coaches were incredible because they would just say like, well, we're, we're learning something new. And you know, you'd have some coaches like, come on, like my 18 year old can make these plays. And they're like, just wait, just wait. And we're, we're working on it. This is how we grow. This is how we learn. It's uncomfortable. And any moment, that we would kind of start getting emotional about it, our coach would stop and say, hey, I am so stoked. You guys were all in on the process right now. This is where greatness happens. Stay in there. And so it kind of diffuses that, and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm going in. And so, and when I'm coaching, I hope I'm doing the same thing. Um, but, but as an athlete, you want to quit, and you want to give up, and you're just like, just let me do it where it's comfortable. And then you get in six on six, uh, and you might, you know, it's easy to be process oriented when it's just you and like a net. It's a little harder when you're like trying to set hitters and you're messing it up. But that's when the culture 
and the coaching and, and when I've been at my best, you hang in those moments. When you're insecure, when you're not in it for the long game, you revert back to what's comfortable. And it's hard. It's easier said than done, but. So if you got a pass right now, would you set it using that technique or would you go? Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I said the new one. I mean, we, we got good at it and it, it, it helped us be better than we were before. But I'm, it was like a years. So it paid off. Years of a process, yeah. And I would go, so we'd train like six months with the national team and then we'd go play professional. And they don't care about preparing you for the Olympics. They care about winning games, paying you, and then making money, hopefully. And so if, if I'm like trying something, like just wait, in like three months, it's gonna be awesome. And they're like, the coach is just yelling at you and they're all outcome, you know? That's when it's challenging. And so you kind of learn the balance of like, okay, you know? And I've, I've done it well and I've done it poorly and I've, gone, I've reverted back and come back to the national team not as good as I was when I left. And I didn't travel that much. And the years that I really committed and, and tuned out the noise and just hung in there and kept learning, 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 I came back and I played really well. Um, but it's easier said than done. So I've, I've failed a lot at it. Um, yeah. And then you're like... <laughs> The good thing is that they're speaking like Portuguese, so you don't know exactly. Yeah, what no, saying. for real though, it's advantageous to not know sometimes. Thank you for tuning into the show, and special thanks to Courtney for taking time out to be with us. The second part of this interview will be released within the next five days. If you want that sent straight to your podcast feed, then hit subscribe. Also, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Jamie Baseball Academy or just simply Jamie Baseball. And visit our site and blog at jamiebaseballgammy.com. If you would leave us positive feedback on the iTunes store, that'd be awesome. And thank you again. Be sure to catch the second part of our interview with Courtney, where she will discuss some of the great coaches she's played for, goal setting, and some personal reflections on her struggles in athletics. Good stuff to come. We'll see you next time.